0: Faithful as he you promised, who also will do it. I'd like to begin this morning by reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 18. John, chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. This morning, by God's grace, I intend to talk about a contrast of kingdoms the contrast of two kingdoms the kingdom of god and the kingdoms of this world there are many kingdoms of this world because this world can't get it together but there's only one kingdom of god and the first thing i'm going to say that's different between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of god is that The kingdom of God, there is no physical kingdom of God on this earth. The the kingdom of God doesn't have a geographical location. Jesus himself said that in Luke chapter 17. I'll read that next. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. There was a time when God's kingdom did have a geographical location. God started with one man, Abraham, and from there he miraculously built up first the family and then the nation and the kingdom of Israel, which originally had God himself directly as the king. And the, his stated purpose was that he was going to use his kingdom to straighten out all the other kingdoms. It's the beginning of history. Man has tried to put himself in God's place. And God was going to use his kingdom to show the rest of the world he alone is God, and he alone really deserves to be the king of the world. It worked for a while. But then God's people, over a period of many, many generations, backslid to the point where God Himself had the most prominent kingdom of this world, most pagan kingdom, Babylon, take over the kingdom of Judah, and from that day to this, there's been no spot you can point to that's God's country, that's God's kingdom. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or Lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. There are kingdoms that have honored God, kings that have honored God, that have tried to follow at least some of the principles of God. We thank God uh, for that. But Jesus, as Jesus pointed out, you can't point and say over there, that's the kingdom of God where everything is done exactly God's way. But we can have the kingdom of God within us. So when Jesus came the first time, he came to establish the kingdom of God, but He came to establish the spiritual kingdom of God. And that comes in our hearts when we repent of our sins and God saves us from our sins, Then the kingdom of God is within us. And wherever we go, I mean, this is an international camp meeting. We're here from all different countries because the people in the kingdom of God are all over the world. So it's not anywhere... But it's everywhere. Wherever we go, we can carry the kingdom of God with us. But the principles of this world are opposite that of the kingdom of God. So, no one following the kingdom of God can be top dog. I don't know, I, I have to be careful how I say this. kingdoms of this world. That didn't mean you can't be involved in civil activity or work for the government or anything. not saying anything like that. A person could be a uh, top level, whatever, supervisor. But we're not the ones calling the shots for how the systems of this world work. So how do the systems of this world work? Well, this, that's where we come again to the contrast between these two kingdoms. I'm going to read from James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And what I want to get from this teaching this morning is, there's so much that could be said about this subject, I'm going to limit myself just to mainly two things. The spirit behind these two kingdoms, specifically in the form of the wisdom that the kingdom of God operates by. And the wisdom that the kingdoms of this world operate by. And how we respond to this situation. So, reading from James chapter 3, starting at verse 13, it reads, "...who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts..." Glory not, and lie not against the truth. There's two words to pay attention to right there. Envying and strife. That's a major part of the wisdom of this world. Children of God have nothing to do with those things. Nothing to do with those things. He says, if bitter envying and strife is in your hearts... Don't lie against the truth. Because if you say, I, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts and you say, oh, I'm a saint of God, you're lying against the truth. Such people are lying against the truth. I can trust nobody's here is doing that. But people, are, people do lie against the truth. They have a false profession. And What really tells it, more than anything, is the spirit within them and the kind of wisdom whereby they operate. That manifests that spirit. Continuing in verse 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. He didn't deny calling it wisdom, but he just says that's not our wisdom. That's not God's wisdom. That's earthly wisdom. That's sensual wisdom. He said it's devilish. Because where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. I just want to take a moment to point out here also, the word confusion in the Bible is not just like, oh, I'm confused. There's, there's some of that definitely from this world, but, but confusion really here means like a wasteland. When you see a place that's been bombed out by a war, and the Bible tells us that's that's the ultimate expression of the wisdom of this world. Right there. It's, it's a wasteland. It lays to waste. It can lay churches to waste. It can lay families to waste. But wherever envying and strife is, it lays ruin. But the wisdom that is Paying attention to the fact, the Bible didn't just simply give a list, and pure just happens to be at the beginning of it. But, it's, but it specifically says, first of all, it's pure. Everything else in the wisdom of God stems from purity, which is another word for holiness. God's holiness is the source of all His wisdom. It's first and foremost pure. We have to be pure then, peaceable. When God makes you pure, you become peaceable. Then gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. That is, without putting on an act. What you see is what you get. That's the wisdom of the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing people of this world don't care for that. Like we just heard in the song. You can make book on the fact that you're going to be despised. I don't know about where you live or work, but where I am, I hear from time to time, not infrequently, about cultural appropriation. That's when people take a culture or elements of a culture from one people. They don't really care about the people or even the culture necessarily, they just like to, ooh, this looks good, I can make use of this, uh, without necessarily having much regard for the, for the people involved who had that culture originally. Okay? The so kingdoms of this world are engaged in a lot of cultural appropriation from the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world talk a lot about justice, equity, equality, peace, That's our stuff. That's the kingdom of God. And so you hear a lot of that in the world from people who really either have no actual interest in those things or they do, but they're misguided by people who have no actual interest in those things. They use them as a means to an end. And the end, That's why the wisdom is envying and strife. That's the wisdom of this world. The sensual, devilish wisdom of this world. By the way, here's something to try out. If somebody tries to get you to do something against your conscience, and you say, no, I don't think that's right. I can't do that, or I can't say that. And they say to you, well, I'm not telling you to lie, or I'm not telling you to cheat, but you just have to use wisdom. Try saying this out loud to that person. What kind of wisdom are we talking about here? Just exactly what kind of wisdom are we talking about here? Are we talking about the wisdom from above or the wisdom from beneath? We are called to be children of God. We're called to be citizens of the kingdom of God. All of us here are citizens of different countries. We're free. You may be a free citizen. I mean, some countries are not so free. But you may be a free citizen of a country, and that's great. But even that citizenship is a means to an end, which is the kingdom of God. And, even when we are free citizens of a country... We're in exile. We're in exile. Because when we're here, this is wonderful. But the reason why we love camp meeting and nobody ever wants to leave is because we get a taste of the kingdom of God on earth. Because everybody here has the kingdom of God in them. So everywhere you go, it's the kingdom of God. But when we go back, and I don't care where you go back. You may go back across the street. But once again, you're not calling the shots. And as, as, again, as the song said, I didn't arrange that song, by the way, but that song really spells it out. You can make sure the fact that the world will see you as foolish. Now, they may say, oh, you're amazing, or say all kinds of things to you, but, but the kingdoms of this world, the powers that be, will look down on heavenly wisdom. Now, the reason why I'm hammering on this is because the temptation, then, for you and I is to say, oh, it's enough of this. I'm tired of being seen as a fool. I'm tired of being taken advantage of. Don't give in to that temptation. We're in exile. And as we heard yesterday, this is just part of our light affliction that we're in exile, that no matter where we go, there's another so-called wisdom at work that directly opposes the wisdom of God. And people should honor the fact that you are merciful. They should honor the fact that you're transparent. They should honor the fact that you're generous in spirit. But more often than not, and some people will honor that, even some unbelievers will under that. But there are always going to be those who will see that and see there's an opportunity for exploitation. There's an opportunity to take advantage of that person. Because what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything. Well, may God help us. What I want to point out to you is if you and I will stand true to God's Word, all of it, but I'm focusing this morning on this wisdom from above that is first pure. If we stay pure, we stay peaceable, we stay. We may face trials. We will. Jesus said it. In fact, he said, if you don't take up a cross, I don't see how you're my disciple. There's no way you can live by this wisdom and not butt heads with the world. Even if you don't, and we're called not to go finding, you know, we're not going to go look for heads to butt, but they'll come to us but God will fight for you. If you stay true. And here's the thing. When God fights, He always wins. Now let's hear a little, a little bit more about God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus spelled things out, and interestingly enough, it was in the context of um, people asking, who's going to be the greatest? This is in the church. So, it's a real thing. We have to be careful not to let the wisdom of this world seep in. And start coloring our thinking. That was what was happening to the apostles. They've been arguing. They're, strife. They're starting to argue. Who's going to be the greatest? So Jesus tried to straighten them out. In uh, chapter 18, first five verses. I'm going to start actually from the second verse. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children... Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you humble yourself like a little child, you won't be seen as the greatest in this world. But you will be seen as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So pay attention to the fact that what looks great down here doesn't look so great in heaven. And what you want to care about is how it looks in heaven. So, that's what I want to care about. What, what, how we behave, how we actually are on the inside, is going to look different in this world than it does in heaven. In this world, people pay attention to ooh, who, knew, who won the Nobel Prize. Or who won this Oscar? Who won, in Madison and I, I, I talked about this, that, that, you know, this, this new race of being called celebs. You get any contact with, a, with popular culture, it's like there's a whole spirit. What are celebs having for breakfast? Like, who cares? But this is what the world sees as great. But what does God see as great? There's a child who's crying. And you stop and you help that child feel better. You know, in heaven, that's like a Nobel Prize right there. That's going to be like in the Encyclopedia of Millennia. Seriously. That's where the, all the great work and all the things that are great in this world, just a, you know, a best of footnote. You know who was... Uh, the governor of Syria during the time the Apostle Paul was preaching? Neither do I. But when the Apostle Paul was preaching, whoever that was, was considered a great man and utterly forgotten today. And the Apostles were nobodies. All the council took note of when they brought them before uh, them and and, and chided them, was that they were ignorant and unlearned. But today, they are considered some of the most important historical figures in history. So that hasn't changed. That's still going on. There's all kinds of events... You and I don't even know about that have happened down through the Middle Ages, down through the different centuries. But in heaven, they're going to be, this was a turning point. This was the most important thing. This little family that had this prayer group together in the 12th century or whatever, are going to be seen as major historical figures. We're not working for greatness in this world. not the things that are important to this world. So he's basically telling the apostles, make up your mind. If you do it right, nobody in this world that people think is great is going to pay, you and pay attention to you. They're going to be like two kinds of people. Those who despise you and those who don't know that you exist. That's the kingdom of God in this world. That's our light affliction. Because it's way overweighted, like we heard yesterday, with an exceeding weight of glory. All right. I've talked enough about Matthew eighteen. Luke twenty two. This here's a contrast. Jesus gave this contrast in Luke twenty two. Starting at verse twenty five. And he said unto them it's another another one of these arguments about who's the greatest. He said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now let me break this down a little bit, if this that sentence is not immediately clear to you. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship. I think that's pretty clear what that means, okay? The people calling the shots, right? The head honchos, the top heads of state, whatever, top International organizations, multinational corporations, you name it. Their, their take is, I'm up here, you are down there. That's their MO. That's how they operate in real life. Now, they may smile, they may be friendly, but they're still up there, and we're still down here. The second half of that statement, he said, they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Benefactor is somebody who helps you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that, it, that there are people called sycophants who go around, oh, 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 oh let me let your cigar there. Well, oh, 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 let me roll out the red carpet. Why? Because you have power and you have money. So let me fall all over myself helping you because I want some of that power and money. If you've got lots of power and money and I butter you up enough, then you can help me out. Meanwhile, somebody else who may be in real need, forget about them, because what can they do for me? Jesus said that's how this world operates. You want to talk about greatest? This is how greatest works. The kings of the Gentiles do exercise lordship, and those that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but he said, ye shall not be so. The kingdom of God is not that way. And I thank God. You know, the kingdom of God is not identical even to any specific organization, but I thank God for this organization because we pay attention to this. Because the inward reality manifests itself in the same MO that we don't do that. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. There are some people here, like my wife's, a culture, where everything is about age. I grew up in a family like that too. My brother, my older brother, was just a little more than a year and a half older than me, but I couldn't even walk down the stairs ahead of him because he pushed me back and said, mind your elders. So I was the youngest one. This says... The one who is greatest, be that younger one. Be that younger one. He that, uh, he says, who's who's greater? He says, he that is chief, be as he that doth serve. That's real. Again, this is not necessarily going to win friends and influence people or get you into the top echelons of whatever, but it pleases God. And it puts us in a position where God works. We heard a lot about modern day miracles. This is where they come from. When we follow heavenly wisdom. When we are first pure and peaceable and easily entreated. So, if there's so much difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world and there is no the kingdom of God doesn't have a physical government doesn't have a geographical location that means everywhere we live it's the kingdoms of this world so how are we supposed to handle that well there's a couple of important passages that that talk about that one is in Romans chapter 13 and I would encourage you to read that whole chapter on your own in the interest of time I'm not going to do that but I'll read a few choice verses, starting with the first one. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I've Spent a lot of time running down the kingdoms of this world, or the powers that be of this world. But at the same time, the Bible says the powers that be are of God. Even though the people in the top echelons of power in this world may not operate—well, they don't operate by the, by the heavenly wisdom. They don't operate by the same spiritual principles that the kingdom of God operates by. But even when Babylon took over Judah it was because God said so. The, the powers that exist are there because God wants them to be. Because God still wants order. Anarchy is the exact opposite of God's spirit. God wants order. Second Peter 2... Uh, somewhere here. 2 Peter 2.10 I'm not going to bother reading it, but it tells us about the God, the judgment of God coming down on wickedness this world, and He says in that tenth verse, "But chiefly on those who despise government." And that's not just federal government or state government, you know, that kind of political government, but it includes that. But authority, general, you and I have no right. Indeed, it's wrong for us to stick our nose up there and say, "Well, I'm a child of God." I'm above the law of the land. No, I'm not. In fact, it's God's commandment that we honor the laws of the land, that we honor the government. Honor the king, the Bible says. Now, if any authority, I don't care if it's government or your boss or whatever, they command you to do something sinful, then you have not only the right, but the duty to do as the Apostle Peter did in Acts 5.29 when he said, we must obey God rather than men. But it's not a sin to have to look for another parking space. It's not a sin to pay five more dollars for your rent or whatever it is. It's not a sin to be inconvenienced. And we don't have a right to break the law or fudge in the law or ignore the law because it doesn't work right for us. I'm going to say more about this in a minute. But but if we, we are opposed, if the Gospel is opposed, to the extent that it is opposed by the powers of this world, we can and must fight. A spiritual fight. That's where Ephesians 6.12 comes in We fight not with physical weapons, we fight not with carnal weapons, we fight with spiritual weapons. The war of our warfare is not carnal, but spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds, even lateral strongholds. The apostles were brought before the council and were threatened with all kinds of threats. And what did the church do? The church fought. How did they fight? They fought on their knees. And they said, God, hear from heaven. The kings of the earth, there it is again. The kings of the earth determined to do whatever they wanted to do to your Christ. And now they're coming after us. Lord, fight. And they called on God to fight by saying, they didn't say strike these people dead. They said, fight by sending forth your hand to heal. And do signs and wonders so that people will know the truth. If we submit our souls to God, God will fight for us and defend his truth. And when they did that, the place was shaken physically where they were. Why? Because they didn't just say those words. They were praying with one accord. They were first pure. They had the wisdom from above. They were living by it. They were it. It was in them. They were in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God was in them. It was in them to do it. They weren't just acting like it. They were doing it. They, they, that was it. That was who they were. It was what they were made of. It needs to be what we're made of. By the grace of God, it is what we're made of. We need to keep that up. We need to ask God, God, keep me pure. Keep me peaceable. Keep me in your kingdom. Keep the kingdom of God in me. All right. Beyond all this, oh, one other thing I want to say from Romans 13. Verse 5 says, Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. That means you don't just obey because you're afraid of getting caught, whether it's at work or the laws of the land or whatever. We have a wanderer of that operates on an honor system and nobody's there checking to make sure you pay if you use the washing machine or whatever you can say well i don't have to pay because nobody's going to see whether i've not. that's not how it works you don't do it because you're afraid of getting caught and if i'm not afraid of getting caught well then i don't have to worry about it i'm not to pay, but. i'll just park right here under this no parking sign or what do you know because nobody ever gets a ticket here anyway that's not how the kingdom of god works you do it because it's the right thing to do. Because it's in you to do it. Like Brother Earl Phillips once said, he said, I don't love my wife because I told, I promised some guy I'm going to love my wife. I love her because it's in me to love her. That's how, the, how it works in the kingdom of God. All right. Um, Matthew chapter 17. There was a time when somebody was taking tribute. Most of us are familiar with the story about somebody saying, Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God's what is God's. And people have debated for centuries what belongs to Caesar, what belongs to God. This puts a pretty fine point on it. There was a time when somebody came up to Peter. This is, uh, I'm starting to read here from um, verse 24 of Matthew 17. Somebody came up to Peter, I'll just read it. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, "Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. Being the impulsive fellow Peter was, he didn't consult with Jesus about that, he just said, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him. So he says to the tribute guy, Yes. He turned back to the house, there's Jesus. And Jesus says, What do you think, Simon. In verse 25, he said, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers, Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. So this is really interesting. Let's analyze this for a minute. First of all, he said, Of whom do the kings of the earth take tribute? Once again, it shows, kings of the earth, they're all... On the same page, and it's not God's page. The, they're, they're there, they have power because God ordained it so. But they're not operating by our principles. Jesus is schooling Peter on the kings of the earth like he might talk about a foreign culture. And again, you could be right here in your country, you're a foreigner, in a sense. I mean, I'm an American, and I really am an American. Just ask any Nigerian. I mean, or just ask any anybody from Korea, or whatever. I clearly look and talk like an American, but talk to unbelievers among the Americans, and, and you get a different story. Whether you're in South Africa or the Philippines, we are not exactly. What, you know, there's something alien about this world to us, just like we heard. I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. But the other thing I want to point out of Jesus', Jesus answered. He said, who do, they, who do they take tribute from? Their own children or strangers. And Peter said, from strangers. And Jesus said, then the children are free. Who are the children, he's talking about. Talking about the Jews, right? He's saying, we live here. This is our country. The Romans are the foreigners, not us. They don't need to be taking tribute from us. We don't need to be paying money to live in our own land. Notwithstanding, he said. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. And then he tells him go pay the tribute. In fact, he didn't just tell him. He worked an amazing miracle to see to it that Peter paid the tribute. Why would he be so bent on not offending somebody that had a wrong policy? Because we're in exile. We're in exile. Apart from sinning or betraying the kingdom of God, we have to play by their rules. Jesus said, eh, we shouldn't have to pay, but we can't offend them. One of the reason why I'm saying this to you is, wherever you are, again, people from all over the world here, whether it's right here in the U.S., other parts of the U.S., other countries, you see things, you say, this isn't right. I don't like what my government is doing. I don't like what my boss is doing. I don't, it's not fair what they're doing in my school. It's not right. It's not fair. Jesus sees that. He doesn't just say, "I ah, don't, I ah, forget about it. He cares about that. He points it out. He called it out. But we're in exile. That's why, again, I like the song, I I'm not referring to this song too many times, the last special. I didn't promise you that everything will be rose. I didn't promise you everything will be the way you want it to be. Or even the way God wants it to be. But I promise you I'll be with you. And Jesus is coming back. So I'm not just talking about uh, the glories of his kingdom without bringing back the king. I'm talking about bringing back the king. Jesus is coming back and he's going to replace all. Systems, All the governments of this world. He's not just going to tidy them up and fix them up. Clean sweep. And then it's going to be his kingdom in their place. We won't recognize this world. But it will be glorious. Because everything, everywhere in the world will be done his way exactly. That's what we're looking for. What is your, What is your desire this morning? What's your desire? Really? Seriously? You've probably seen this. I've seen it. I've probably done it myself. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. No, but really, what thrills your soul? What makes you go, I can't wait for Brother Charles to finish this teaching so I can... What? What? What do you just... Hey, we're going to... What is that? What thrills your soul? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it seeing people get saved? Seeing people get sanctified and filled with the spirit of God? Seeing people and getting an opportunity to to tell others the, the truth, the gospel message... Praying and seeing people get healed? Is it does your spirit depend on the merchandise of this world? The merchandise of this world is all going away. But better than that I'll tell you something from Revelation. Here's here's what happens to the kingdoms of this world. Revelation eighteen two says and he cried with a mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. You don't want to be there. The habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit, that's the inevitable end of the systems of this world. They're already doomed. You don't want to be a part of this world. You don't want to be part of the, the worldliness of this world. You don't want to care about the top 40 or the top of the pops or whatever it is, wherever you're at. But, listen to this. In Revelation 22, or 21, I think it is. 21, it says, and the nations, this is verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of of New Jerusalem. The new the new heavens and the new earth. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory into it. So everything that the devil is dangling hey, at, wouldn't you like this? Ooh, look at what you get if you were popular, you could You know what? The people who follow the devil won't even get those things. Anything that's worth having is actually gonna end up in the kingdom of God. The glory of the nations come into it. That's where I want to be. I want to be in His kingdom. I want to be in His kingdom now. This is your ticket to be in His millennial kingdom, His physical kingdom when Jesus comes back to reign. This is His kingdom. We, want, we need to live like Him now. I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about having your mind that changed. Having your spirit lined up. With Jesus' mind, that this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. God will help us. We'll stand and sing 501, and let's come out. Ask God to keep His kingdom in our hearts.